Hey guys, welcome back to the Success 101 Podcast. Glad to be here with you this morning, and I have a confession to make before we get into this concept of going wild. And uh, I did it, guys. I got sucked in last night, unfortunately, got caught up on social media. Uh, Not even like browsing and stuff, but like communicating with people, sending a couple of messages here and there, responding to a couple of things, and ended up only getting about four hours and 54 minutes of sleep last night. I know, and now I've upset the kids. That's the worst part. But what are we going to do? We're going to learn from this. I took a mental note of this. I'm not going to get sucked into that this next time. I'm going to be better. I'm going to strive for six hours of sleep and more, right? We need to be getting even more than that. But this concept of go wild, and I'm excited to bring that to you this morning. And really, what I want you to think about this morning as we go through this is what type of person were you created to be in your truest form, right? In your truest form. We are all very active, very productive, hard-charging people. Uh, I know every single one of you personally that is, uh, that's out there listening to these podcasts, not sure who some of you guys are sending these things out to, but I'm assuming they're hard-charging people as well, or you wouldn't be sending them out to where they may, may be getting something out of it also. But think about this concept of going wild. So the book is actually Go Wild. So this is kind of a little bit of a mashup between an interview and a book. Uh, but, you know, John Brady and Richard Manning got together and wrote this book. And a couple of really big ideas here that I'm going to go through with you is nutrition, your moods, your sleep, the whole idea of digital sunsets. We're going to come back and talk about that again. Finding your lever, keystone habit, as Charles Duhigg talks about in his book, Habits. And then really just exploring potential. That's really the game, they say, in this idea of go wild. And it's, it's a really neat concept, you know, freeing your body and mind from the afflictions of civilization. It's the subtitle of the book. So I thought, man, go wild. I've, I've kind of seen this before. And uh, I'm about halfway through the actual book, so I've taken my own notes. That's why it's a mashup this morning. I've taken my own notes halfway through the book, which has been just awesome. It's one of the best books that I've picked up in a long time or listened to, I guess I should say. But then the interview uh, that I saw, I always try to go and watch interviews or listen to podcasts or listen to something on the authors of these books that I'm reading because they're going to talk about a lot more uh, work that they've done, a lot more insight to why the book was, uh, was so helpful as far as their inspiration for writing it. But this idea uh, of go wild, you know, what does that mean to you? And that can mean different things to different people. But I want you to check in again, like I said, with that this morning to f- figure out where you are and have you been, you know, have you really been affected by civilization? Which, you know, the answer is yes, we all have, right? And if you remember my recording on Spark, John Rady wrote Spark. He's one of the leading experts on science and nutrition of performance and diet and eating well. Um, Richard Manning wrote a book called Against the Grain. I've not read that book, uh, but I hear it's really good from a lot of the, the interviews that I saw in this book. But the basic idea here is that we have become tame, as they say, humans have. We need to go back to how we were when we were wild, right? When we were in the wild a few thousand years ago, in our rawest form, we were kind of the you know the hunter gatherer mentality, and they say, look, just face it, we were wild. You know, we weren't wild animals, but we were wild. We were in the wild, 
And this introduction of agriculture and the introduction of civilization has done a lot of amazing things, right? Obviously, we wouldn't be connecting right now on this podcast if it wasn't for civilization and advancements that have been made. But, you know, think about this. It took us out of our natural rhythms of our wild natural environments. And that, if we don't pay attention to it, has the potential to make us sick and unhappy and weak and really underperforming. But some big ideas here, there's kind of eight, probably eight big ideas, I think, as I flip, as I flip through the, the different chapters of the book. But I'm going to point out five of them here and really elaborate on those and figure out how these practical ideas and these studies they talk about can really help us to maximize our full potential. But the first idea they talk about here is wild nutrition. And they say that, you know, the industrial revolution, the information age, paled in comparison to the agricultural revolution. The introduction of agriculture, you know, and producing essentially wheat and grains, it was the greatest, most impactful event in thousands of years of, you know, humans being here, right? But that affects nutrition. But if you look at what we, what humans did back in the wild days, you know, a couple thousand years ago, we did not eat dense carbohydrates. Um, you know, they talk about a low-carb approach in this book, which some people agree with, some people don't. But they emphasize the fact also that no matter what you eat, no matter what you do, look at your sugar intake, look at your refined flour intake. It just doesn't make any sense for where we are today. So think about this, guys. This blew my mind. In 1700, research shows that we consumed about five pounds as a culture, you know, here in the U.S., of sugar. Before that, it was less and less and less as you go back in time. Today, you've heard me say before in my recording, cancer, uh, candy, uh, sugar is candy for cancer. But today we consume 150 plus pounds of sugar. Huh, I wonder if that's good for us. I wonder if that's impacting our performance and overall health. In the 1700s, we consumed five pounds, the average person per year, now it's 150 plus. Unbelievable, right? They also talk about wheat. So they said, look, before the agricultural introduction, there was, you know, again, a few thousand years ago, there was this einkorn wheat that they talk about in its kind of natural form. Today we have a very different version of what our ancestors ate, and we eat 133 pounds of wheat. So we went to close to zero uh, consumption of wheat, and the wheat that was, what was consumed was actually more in its natural form to where now we've got this more processed, refined wheat that we can, you know, we consume about 133 pounds on average as a civilization. So I thought the book was really fascinating how they break down a lot of this. If you look at uh, isolated cultures that don't have these Western diseases that we have to deal with, and then you look at the introduction to Western diseases, what changed? Well, they go into this concept that it's all about nutrition, sugar and flour, sugar and wheat. Those are the easiest things to transport around the world. Those are the easiest things to introduce, to isolate, um, to, to a, or, I'm sorry, easiest things to introduce to an isolated population that's never had those things. And then all of a sudden, these, these diseases that have never been there before with your nutrition start getting introduced. 
not sure. I think maybe, you know, maybe that's a, maybe that's not a coincidence, right? That's going to happen. So, you know, they basically just say, look, there is a growing and necessary trend to, toward restoring our wild systems. Um, you know, the Europeans call this rewilding, they say. We are arguing that the human body is every bit as complex and biodiverse as any wild ecosystem, in, in their opinion. And it works best when restored to wild conditions. So the book, you know, quote of the book says, think of this book as an instruction for rewilding your life and maybe even an introduction to ideas that may change the way you think about your life and ultimate performance, end quote. So there are tons of ideas. One, one of my, I'm halfway through it, and just on the interviews that I've heard, what I've read so far, it's one of my favorite books that I've picked up because what it, re- <coughs> excuse me, what it really shows you is just how far out of our natural you know, God-created civilization that we have become where, you know, we're just introducing all this stuff that our body has not figured out what to do with it, right? So it either stores it or, it, you know, a lot of times it just turns it in, <clears throat> into diseases or diseases are formed from that. Uh, but they go through this, uh, this list here of things not to eat that I recorded here. It says, do not eat sugar, not in any form. You've heard that before on these podcasts, right? Not sucrose, not pure sugar cane, not high fructose corn syrup, not honey, right? We always talk about this natural honey. They said, no, that's, that's going to feed some of those cancer cells even. Not in all those other chemical names, or not all those other chemical names that you can't read on the back of the box. Most of them rooted in corn, uh, a lot of malodextrin, dextrose, sorbitol, mannitol, any of that stuff that you see, apple juice, you know, one of, the, one of the hidden causes of childhood obesity, even in households where there's very good parenting, John Manning says it's, it's the juices. It's the apple juice. It's the orange juice. You've heard me mention that before. Don't eat dense packages of carbohydrates, particularly refined flour. No bread, if possible. No pasta, if possible. No bagels. Certainly no cookies. No grain, period. Not even whole grain. So we hear this all the time about nutrition and only eat whole grain. They're saying, look, don't eat any of it. Don't eat trans fats, period. And, you know, if you haven't figured out the derivative rule by now as far as all this list of what to live by, trans fats and sugars are the foundation of processed foods. And they basically just said, if you don't want to get caught up in all these names and looking at the back of labels, just don't eat processed foods. If your grandparent, I'm sorry, if your great-grandparents didn't eat it or didn't have access to it, we probably shouldn't be putting it in our body. So if we want to go wild, guys, if we want to start, uh, you know, look at what we ate. They said that nutrition is the most important thing at getting our bodies and our digestive systems and our brains and just our overall processes in check every single day to maximize our potential and maximize our activity. We've got to look at what we ate when we were wild, right? And the hint, 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 it wasn't sugar. It also wasn't wheat or other grains in significant uh, quality. So you've heard me mention David Perlmutter. He's got the book out there, Grain Brain. I've mentioned that in a couple of different recordings. But he said in a, a talk that I heard him give, and I think it might be in his book, Grain Brain, as well, um, he just said, hey, there's little doubt that one of the largest and most wide-reaching events and the ultimate decline of brain health in modern society has to be, has to be, listen to this, guys, the introduction of wheat grain into the human diet. And while it's true that our ancestors consumed a minuscule amount of this grain, what we now call wheat bears little resemblance to the wild einkorn variety. You've heard me, you heard me mention that a few minutes ago, the einkorn variety 
that our ancestors consumed on rare occasions. So with modern hybridization and gene modifying technology, you know, this, you know, the 133 pounds of wheat that we take in on average shares almost zero. He says almost zero genetic structure or chemical likeness to what other hunter-gatherers in the past might have stumbled upon. And that's where we came from, right? Came from that wild environment. And therein lies the problem, he says. We are increasingly challenging our physiology with ingredients for which we are not genetically prepared. So, quick summary on that before we move on. We basically had no sugar when we were wild. Now we have over 150 pounds per person per year of sugar. And we had tiny amounts of wheat when we were wild. Now we have 133 pounds or more of wheat today. Hmm, kind of something to check in on, right? Figure out what is in your diet. What is impacting your overall well-being? And nutrition experts out there, just in several different things that I've read, you know, they disagree on a lot of things. What diet's really good today may not be good tomorrow. What diet's really good then, something else is going to come out. You know, the whole Atkins thing, low-carb, no-carb, high-fat, low-fat, you know, all this sort of thing. I've even seen diets out there today that are like, hey, high cholesterol, you need a high cholesterol diet. It's like, what? Um, but even though they disagree on a lot of things, the one thing that they come back to is over-consuming sugar is just that principle agreement that they have, right? It, it is, uh, it, it's, just the, it's just the universal thing that we should not consume sugar and then go on and take that a step further and do not consume flour, if you can at all possible, in your diet. So let's jump on uh, here into step number two. Bad mood, or you in a bad mood, then move. So in 2010, the American Psychiatric Association issued new guidelines for treating depression and for the first time, guys, exercise was listed as a proven treatment. For the first time in 2010, the American Psychiatric Association released these guidelines for treating depression, and for the first time, exercise was listed as a proven treatment. And people in this, the uh, nutrition world, maybe not in so much in the psychiatric world, psychology world, but in you know, the nutrition world, just said, hey, we've been talking about this forever. We've been talking forever about how the brain is affected by uh, health and how depression can be treated by exercise, even small amounts of exercise. So the sedentary or the sitting behavior all the time causes brain impairment. And we know, you know, we talked about before in these podcasts of how, de- you know, depriving your brain of the flood of this, you know, neurochemistry that they talk about, uh, you know, keeps your brain from growing it doesn't let your brain be healthy. Let's get this. Uh, let's get this exercise going on. John Rady talks about in his book Spark as well. But you know they also talked about in this study. The American Psychiatric Association said that even you know exercise is even a proven treatment for depression, such as Zoloft. Right? You heard me say in the in the book review on Spark that if uh, John Rady says if everyone knew that exercise worked as well as Zoloft. You know, we could put a real big dent in this disease. Unfortunately, people don't know about this. People don't know that exercise, even in small doses, uh, has the same effect as pharmaceutical drugs or whatever. So what do we do? We just pump ourselves up on, uh, on uh, drugs, monster energy drinks. That's me, right? Right here, monster energy drinks. Uh, you know, anything that has energy on the tagline, anything that has sugar, we just feel like we need that pump each day. And it's just kind of a, just kind of a false 
high for a little while, right? And then we have a huge crash, or really just you know, really just destroying our bodies, right? And so, in the in the notes, spark. Uh, I don't think I said this in the recording, but basically, John Rady says, "Hey, I tell people that going for a run is like taking a little bit of Prozac and a little bit of Ritalin, because like these drugs, exercise elevates your neurotransmitters, and it's you know, it's a really good way to get the point across, right? But a, a deeper explanation of this." is that the, this exercise balances neurotransmitters along with the rest of neurochemicals in your brain, he says, and you know, you'll know you see keeping your brain in balance can really change your life to this maximum potential that you're trying to get to. These energy levels each day can be more in balance without all the harmful side effects of popping a pill each day or you know whatever, but taking a little bit of Ritalin, taking a little bit of Prozac, I'll have some of that, right? I don't want the side effects of it, but exercise is going to be able to do that. So if you're in a bad mood, they say in the book, go wild. They say, look, you've got to move. Uh, In the modern world, when people are feeling down, they're often told to take it easy, right? You're in a bad mood, like take it easy, go rest, go lie in bed and relax. And, you know, that is just not the case, guys. Uh, so So much research out there says if you just become withdrawn and you become sedentary, you're actually going to get further into this brain fog or this slump that you're in, the depression possibly if you're that far down the road. And there's so much joy. There's so much excitement. There's so much, you know, these chemicals that are released when you go out and you walk. Uh, I can't remember where it was, but I saw a quote one time that says, basically, you have two doctors with you all the time. It's kind of a play on words, right? But it's like, you have two doctors with you all the time your right and your left leg. Get up and move. Like, if you want to get healthier, get up and go move. So, pretty interesting concept, right? Uh, Next big point here, it says, if you are sleepy, you need to sleep, right? And they say, here's what they say, guys. They say, everybody, everybody, no matter who you are, no matter what kind of pride you have around, oh, I don't need much sleep, they said, everybody needs eight and a half hours of sleep, period. No negotiation on that whatsoever. In a 24-hour period, everybody needs eight and a half hours of sleep out of every 24-hour period. Now, guys, here's the challenge, right? If you know how to do that or figure out how to do that, you come let me know. Uh, That's a tough pill to swallow, and I don't want to make excuses, right? I want to get as much sleep as anybody else and really need it. But, man, eight and a half hours, I'm not sure where I would fit that in. And that's the problem, right? The problem is we are not... Our bodies have not evolved into this work, uh, I don't even want to call it work-life balance because that's not what it is, this work, overconsumption of work, right? Our bodies are saying, like, I'm screaming, I'm tired, what are you doing to me? It's our society, though, right? I mean, it is the world we live in today. If you're going to hold a successful job, if you're going to excel, if you're going to move forward, there's just this concept of, like, hey, man, you're going to, you're going to, especially as entrepreneurs, right, like, you're going to go burn the fuse. You're going to go make it happen. You're going to go do everything that you can. And they said, look, no question. I talked to Curtis Estes at one point. I mean, you guys heard my recording with him. He's doing a triathlon once a month, every single, and that's not a goal, guys. I don't know if I made that clear in the recording. It's not like, oh, my goal this year is to do a triathlon once a month, and maybe I'll hit it, maybe not. He's been doing that. I think he's been doing that for like you know, a couple of years now, and on top of that, he's doing these 10Ks and these triple crown runs, as he calls it, 
and I just see all the stuff that he does and, and runs a successful practice, spends tons of time with his family, travels with his family a lot, has time to sit around and deep think about all the goals we talk about. And I was like, okay, there's no way this guy can be getting any sleep. And I just asked him one time, I said, Curtis, how much sleep are you getting? every single night. He's like, yeah, yeah, somewhere about seven hours. And I'm just, I was mind blown. I was like, how are you getting that in? You know, and it's just, it's structuring it in, right? But in this book, you need to get eight and a half hours of sleep every 24 hour cycle. They said, look, if you're sleepy, you need to sleep. If you're not sleepy, you need to go to sleep. You need to try to get that in every single night. And they said, it is impossible to oversleep. You know, if you need an alarm clock to wake you up every single day and you can't get rolling until about the third or fourth shot of espresso and you find that you sleep long and hard on the weekends and you're probably not getting enough sleep, they say. Uh, you know, the, the, body, the body is wonderfully made to have strong measures and mechanics to it to enforce its need for sleep. And if you haven't hit that burnout stage yet, uh, you're going to. If you're feeling tired and fatigued, Go rest. Go to bed. You heard my recording, or maybe you will at some point, on uh, on rest, just active rest, which is very different than sleep, right? So everybody's going to fall into this category. You're not any different just because you think you might need only six hours of sleep. We can convince ourselves of that, right? Hey, I can work on less than eight hours of sleep, and, uh, you know, we are shortchanging our potential and our health and our health. Hopefully that stands out uh, by getting by on less, but, you know, the, the four hours and 50-something minutes I got last night, not, that's not going to cut it, guys. And, and I know it. Failure is feedback, and I'm learning from that. I'm in the lab right now of just taking inventory of my life this year. What do I eat? How do I move? How do I sleep? How do I feel on certain days? And just really, you know, just really trying to tie into that of when I feel great, take note of it. What did I do the day before? If I feel horrible, what did I do, you know, what did I eat? What did I, how did I sleep? You know, whatever. So just, you know, I can't talk about this issue of sleep enough. And this whole issue also of digital sunsets, you've heard me talk about before. Um, I, think, I think Brian Johnson introduced that concept that I was listening to at one point. Um, but, you know, think about it, guys. You know, produce melatonin at night. Your brains have to produce melatonin. Your brain needs to get into these circadian rhythms and get a good night of sleep. Research, you know, we don't need research to tell us that this is a very good idea. We want to feel good. You'll see the direct results of that based on how much sleep you get. And uh, there was a study out even, I can't even remember where I read this, but there was a study out even that said that, uh, you know, people in hospitals, people in hospitals are some of the most unhealthy people, especially doctors that are on call all the time. They're walking, they're on their feet all the time. Uh, But there's higher rates of cancer developed in medical professionals that are just up and down and up and down. Shift workers. My dad uh, has worked shift work for years, you know, since I was a teenager until he, you know, retired a couple of years ago. But, you know, one week he's, you know, one week he's going to work at, you know, 5 a.m. and getting off at 3 or 4 in the afternoon. The next week he's going in at 1 p.m. and getting off at 11. The next week he's going in at 11 and not getting off until about 7 or 8 that next morning. I mean, as a 50 or 60-year-old person, your body cannot handle that. I'm so glad he's not working that just hard manual shift work labor anymore. He's just wearing himself out, right? But back in our wild days, you know, to get back to this concept here, back in our wild days, you know, a lot of these rhythms were easy to do. You've heard me say before that before Thomas Edison invented the light bulb back in the 1800s, you know, whatever year that was, the average American was getting over 10 hours of sleep 
every single night. Now the average American gets less than seven hours of sleep every single night. Do you think that's not affecting our rates of depression, our rates of uh, popping the pill more, our rates of energy consumption? Why do you think five-hour energy is on every single shelf out there? Why do you think monster energy drinks uh, have their own cooler when you walk into gas stations? It's because they know people want it, and they will pour money into it. If you look at my credit card statement and itemized it out, man, there's a lot of... I mean, I go on Amazon and I buy like, you know, 24 packs of the stuff. It's, you know, I'm trying to get away from it now. So I'm going to post a picture actually of what my morning cocktail is now. And it's all just natural uh, green stuff. So I'll post that um, at some point this week so you guys can see it. But, you know, there was, um, there was some artificial light, they say, back then, back in the day when we were wild. There was, you know, fire, right? So people could stay up late at night looking at fires or whatever, but... You know, those sources of light pr- produce very different wavelengths of electricity than the blue screens and everything that we look at now. They were way dimmer, uh, and they came nowhere near the power of light that we now have around us all the time. So the solution is digital sunset, right? Turn off the TV, turn off the electronics a few hours before bedtime. Um, most people, most medical professionals would tell you 60 to 90 minutes before you go to bed, just get the brain wound down, okay? Okay. Uh, the next concept here is find your lever. Okay, so it comes down to this ultimate question they say is, you know, what do you do about all this? You can hear about the nutrition, you can hear about the sleep, you can hear about all these uh, ideas of how to get back into the wild to where you feel better, you're performing better each day, but what do you do with that? Um, and, you know, they just say, look, use your own self-experiments. Just as I was saying a while ago, research in the lab. You're doing research on yourself. But it should just be as clear as the weight of evidence that, you know, how you feel goes a long way. And you've got to find your lever first, they say. And, you know, they talk about this concept in there that says, look, the simple act of people shutting off their computers at night is going to lead to better health on a number of fronts. The simple act of eating the right kind of foods is going to lead to better health on a number of fronts, right? And those key levers, those key changes in your life, those are going to be triggers that bleed out into other areas that make you perform different ways that you probably never have before. Because we just, you know, again, since I was small, and I can remember things, it's going to McDonald's, it's eating tons of cereal, it's eating, you know, drinking Cokes, it's doing all this stuff. But our first step is to find that lever, what makes us feel good each day. Our food, our uh, our nutrition that we're taking in, our movement, our sleep, our deep breathing during the day, all of these are going to be pieces of the whole. And, you know, I don't know what your lever is, guys. I don't know what it is at all. But, you know, looking at food or looking at your movement or some combination of both is where they say you need to start. What is your lever? What is that new habit that's going to create the most positive benefit for you in your life that once you integrate it is going to ripple out to other areas of your life? So you probably heard my recording the power of habit, uh, Charles Duhigg, he talks about this as a keystone habit. So just as that keystone, as I mentioned, is critical that locks in and strengthens an arch, we want to identify the habit that is most powerfully going to catalyze this change in our life. Just think about that, this one thing that you're doing that is having a huge impact uh, on, on everything else that you're doing. And understanding those keystone habits is really going to hold the answer to what what are the things that matter most in your life? And how can you start to shift and make other patterns happen in your life? And Charles Duhigg, a couple of interviews I've seen on him, he agrees with John Rady and Richard Manning 
is that exercise is the place to start, right? You can focus on eating well, but if you're not getting up and moving every day, you're going to be pretty sedentary, right? But he said, look, when people start habitually exercising, even if, it's a, even if you start out as infrequently as once a week, you're going to start changing other unrelated patterns in your life, often unknowingly, right? You may not even know. But, you know, typically people who start exercising are going to eat better. They're going to become more productive at work. Um, they're going to smoke less. They're going to show more patience with colleagues and family. They're going to become better people overall. Uh, they're going to use, he even says, credit cards less frequently. They're going to start keying in on important things in their life that they're doing wrong. And it's really not, it's really not rocket science, right? Exercise is a keystone habit that's going to trigger widespread change. It's going to spill over. There's something about it that just makes all of your other habits easier to follow. So back to you guys. What is your lever? What is that keystone habit? And just write that down. You know, this is the lever I will pull this year that will have the most positive impact in my life. Blank. Write it down. Whatever it is, then go out and, you know, rock it this year. So another point here is um, exploring potential. We talk about, you know, I say at the beginning of the podcast every time, my goal is to bring you a new concept or idea that helps you maximize your full potential. And, you know, if you do these things that we're talking about, the nutrition, the exercise, the keystone habits, just going back to our wild state, right? I just love that concept. That is going to lead and bleed over into other things. Uh, But just remember, guys, you're not checking you know, you're not just checking boxes here. You're not like, okay, I know I need to eat right, so let me check a box. Okay, I know I need to move, so let me go, you know, figure out if I can get a work in today. Okay, good, I did one. I checked the box. you got to get passionate about this. You've got to understand that you're exploring potential. And when your potential is higher and you look at it as not an assignment or a duty, but rather kind of that, that exploration, again, the white coat and the, and the goggles, we are experimenting with everything in our life and you're going to see those guided, you know, those those guide, guidelines that you follow are going to lead to rewards. So, you know, if you've been doing this for a couple of weeks and you feel better and you want to feel even better, what else is out there? Let's put on the, the goggles, lab coat. Let's go out there and experiment even more. Uh, is this leading to better sleep? Is this leading to better awareness? Is this leading to better productivity? Is this leading to better engagement with your people at home, your family? Is this leading to a more clear brain? It should. All of this should. And in time... And in not very much time, they say it should have a profound impact on your life. So I kind of love that concept they talk about is, look, we're not just checking boxes. We've got to get some emotion behind this. And when you start doing things to really understand exploring potential, you're going to be a lot better off. I told you guys that exercise for me used to be, um, you know, when I was single, worked out a ton. I always said I wasn't the guy that wasn't going to exercise well, you know, big joke on me, right? I used to see, like, older guys getting sloppy and out of shape, and I'm like, oh, I'll never be that guy. Why did they not work out? Well, gosh, I was clueless. I was, <laughs> I was so ignorant to how busy life gets once kids come and things like that especially. But it's like, look, man, life is busy. I don't have time to go to the gym every single day. Um, and that was my thought, right? But that's when it was like, you know, curls for the girls, right? And and calf raises, right? I mean, it's like, when do I have time to go do calf raises now? When do I have time to go, like, sit on the neck machine? And, and were, are you kidding me? I should, like, sit on the neck machine and at college and then after school when I lived down in Houston, and I'd sit there for, like, man, one of the, one of the sets I need to get in today is the is the neck uh, the neck rolls, you know, on the machine. Like, are you kidding me, man? I don't have time to go do much of anything nowadays outside of what I have to do, much less go do some neck exercises or calf raises. But when you're thinking about it that way, it's because it's all about your, you know, your appearance, right? 
Now I work out to get my brain health better. Now I work out to get my heart rate up. Now I work out to hopefully eliminate some of this just time suck, time wasting activity that's going to drag me down, make me feel sedentary, make me be in this brain fog. And I'm just testing, right? That, that's been a deal for Curtis Estes for a long time, just testing every single week what's working, what's not working. Again, guys, put those lab coats on. Failure is feedback. Anything that you fail on, you're going to not beat yourself up over it. You're going to learn from it. And what are you testing right now in your life? What is the next, you know, rewilding, as they phrase it here, experiment that you're going to do to where you can really lead to your full potential? So, guys, I'd encourage you to go out and get the book. Uh, There's so much more in the book than what I can do justice here for, but just this concept of getting back into the wild. Right before civilization, everything was wild. Hunter gatherers, um, you know, more more like animals, I guess, than we were today. Um, just being out in the raw wild, but you know, farming and cities and workload and email and computers and all of this stuff. We have now been tamed, they say, and this is making us ill. This is making us sick, not only in our bodies as far as our our immune system and all of that but it is making our brain sick. It is making us depressed. It is making us stressed out. And, guys, one of the things that led to a lot of these podcasts was I started seeing myself get burnt out, taking a step back, taking a long reflection of what in the world am I doing. I don't think I was created to live this way by my creator who wants me to have an abundant life, even in a really tough and hard negative world. And I just started looking around and going, man, there's a lot of people in my company and other companies, just business leaders that I know that, man, they have a great way of hiding it, right? But they are just zombies. They are just beating themselves up. And, guys, we were not meant to live like this. So let's go back. Let's go get in the wild. You've heard me say before that, um, you know, back in the colonial days, which I love the revolutionary period and colonial period, but in colonial days, it was really hard to find people, right? Your, your next neighbor may be like five miles down the road at a farm somewhere, and, you know, who knows if you saw them very often or if you had an emergency. It's like, man, you're kind of there to handle it on your own. Now it's extremely hard to find silence. So you guys know my goal this year is to spend one hour a week in silence. And, and to me, that ties right into this going back and getting wild, right? So I did it, I uh, started it last week. So I spent, uh, last week I spent on, uh, on two different days actually, I spent an hour uh, sitting in silence. It's amazing how quickly that time flies by when you're not thinking about it. You know, don't glance down at your watch, even though you're going to be tempted to. Uh, It's just amazing when your alarm finally goes off and says, hey, it's time to get up. Uh, You're like, man, that was an hour. Holy cow, that that was huge. Matthew Kelly says you can learn more from an hour in silence than a year of reading books. So I'm looking forward to exploring that a little bit more. But, guys, I'll leave you with this concept again. Can't say it enough. Let's go out and rewild our life, as they call it, and, you know, really improve a lot of these ideas. Don't eat 150 pounds of sugar. Don't eat 133 pounds of, of wheat. If you're in a bad mood, go move. Don't try to take it easy. I used to think that if I was in a bad mood from a stressful day, that I really deserved to veg on, on the couch, right? Like, man, you know, I used to tell Katie, like, Katie, I just need a little bit of time right here. Oh, I'm just going to sit here on this couch and just veg. I thought I, I thought I owed that to myself. Like, I have to have this. And what I realized was that actually makes me sit there and stew on the stressful things even longer that I was thinking about. Man, get up and go move. So there's times now where I'm driving home uh, or coming back from a meeting or something like that, and I'll just send her a text that says, hey, can we please go for a walk? 
with the family when I get home. I need that. So my, my mindset has completely shifted over the last year to where naturally now I'm thinking about I need to get out. I need to get out in the sun. I need to get out of my suit. I need to just go and walk. And even if we just walk, um, gosh, just the, the psychological benefits that come from that are better than just sitting there on the couch and just keeping me because, you know, sitting there on the couch watching TV, it's not like I'm really relaxing, right? I'm not even I'm not even watching TV. I'm just zoned out thinking about all the stressful stuff that happened that day. And I just carry that bad mood with me. We carry that bad mood into the evening with us, and then eventually we carry it to bed and have very unrestful sleep. So we've got to get the sleep in as well, as I've talked about over and over, digital sunsets, building melatonin, and then eventually just finding your lever. What is the one thing right now that if you said, look, if I started doing this one thing or if I stopped doing this one thing, it would be that keystone habit that I would build in that would be the lever, right, that when pulled would really just bleed out into all of these other parts of my life. For, for the guys in the book here, they're saying start with exercise. You know, you can try to eat better, but if you're not getting your heart rate up, you're not getting your blood flowing, you're still probably going to feel not great all the time. might feel a little bit better, but you're not going to explore your maximum potential. So keep testing, guys. Keep experimenting. I really enjoyed uh, this book and, and preparing the notes for this recording, and that tells me that it was a good book whenever I enjoy that. So I'm going to continue it. might even do another you know, mini-topic recording or something on this. And uh, there's just so much here, but I encourage you, go get the book, go get the audio book, go wild. Thanks so much.